Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. The podcast, which thanks to Photoshop, is now leading the charge on iTunes in the TV and film category. I am Scott, your co-host, and joining me, back from across the pond, as the French say, is Lily. Yes, uh, do, do the French really say across the pond? Bienvenue, Lilian. Vous filles stupides. Oh, that's not nice. <laughs> oh, c- come on. And joining us from the frozen wasteland of the Northeast is Sean. So this would be the point in the podcast where Sean introduces himself along with some witty one-liner. However, for the entirety of this episode, Sean was having extreme intestinal turmoil. You know, like baseball players when they have to leave the field. Uh, Anyway, it's just a little PSA. Back to what we were saying. Well, this was a great choice, I have to say. I picked the last two episodes for us to review, so I was anxious to see what uh, you guys would pick. I would say that Lily picked a real gem here. Today, for this episode, we reviewed The Office UK, in particular, episode one, Downsize. And uh, I assume you guys were fans going into this as well. Yes. So I guess this would be a good time for me to ask one of my prepared questions here. Why do you think that it carried on for so much longer? And I guess it kind of seems like it was more popular in America or the United States, I suppose I should say. What you're asking is why the uh, United States version lasted so long and was yes. more popular than the British version? Yes, just as uh, just as an informal opinion here. British series tend to cut things short, keep things concise. Two series of six each. You know, I think, uh, what was IT Crowd? Was that four series of six each? Something yeah, like that? So, yeah. And uh, British shows tend to know when it's time to bow out. And a lot of times they go out on top. And that really helps them to become cult classics. Whereas American shows, they will just run those series into the ground. All right, so... I should say that this is now currently running on Netflix US, so if for some reason you haven't seen this show, watch it. Even if you don't uh, care for the American office, I think you'll enjoy this uh, this series. It has more of a, a darker tone, I would say, to the American version, and certainly a, uh, a lot more awkwardness. Yeah, I definitely prefer the UK version to the American version, hands down. It's, it's Even though the situations are similar, it's a completely completely different show. Yeah. In fact, I kind of shy away from comparing the two because really, aside from the framework and the setting, the way that the cast was set up, aside from that, this is really a completely different show, as you said. All right, so let's get right into it. We start with a opening theme and title. We see a view of the town of Slough, which is a real town in the UK. The song here is called Handbags and Glad Rags. This was written by Mike Dabo, and performed by Finn Muir of the band Wasted. The music was arranged by the musician and composer Big George. Now, what's uh, interesting about Mike Dabo is that he was the frontman for the British beat band Manfred Mann from uh, 1966 to 1969. They were most famous for the, the song Do Wa Diddy. That was in 1964. That was actually before Mike Dabo joined the group, but that's what Manfred Mann is most famously known for. He's also the father of the actress and uh, voiceover actor uh, Olivia Dabo. 
she's done a lot of work on uh, Justice League and yeah. a whole host of other things. You should check out her IMDb. And he's the cousin of Miriam Diabo, who was a Bond girl in uh, The Living Daylights. What we get here of the theme song is the inst instrumental version. At the end, we'll get the, the vocals. But Mike Dabo said when he wrote this in 1967, he described the song as saying to a teenage girl that the way to happiness is not through what? being trendy. <laughs> there are deeper values. I'm just saying, that's what, that's what he said. This was covered by Rod Stewart in 1972, and it actually peaked at number 42 on the Billboard Hot 100. That's, that's pretty surprising. I and mean, when you hear it, you can kind of picture it being a Rod Stewart type of song. And it was performed and released 26 times from 1969 all the way till 2008 was the last time that somebody uh, covered it officially. I wonder who's the last one to cover it. Uh, it. I looked it up. It's not really anybody notable. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Paul McCartney or anything. <laughs> so we start here in a small scene in David Brent's office. We see David Brent here played by Ricky Gervais who is one of the creators and co-writers and co-directors, along with Stephen Merchant. You can't credit them as creating this style of TV show, but really they popularized this format for television. Yes, and the official name for this is a mockumentary. It's a little play on words there. <laughs> yes. They actually came up with the idea for this show when Stephen Merchant was trying to get a job at the BBC. They uh, filmed a little clip inside of a college or university, I suppose it would be, in the UK. And BBC saw it and had them actually make a pilot episode. It's very cool. Now, they, did they do those as shorts as well? Like short films? I believe so. I would have to double check that, but I'm, I'm, almost, uh, I'm almost positive. If you buy the, uh, the Office DVD box set, there's uh, special features that have Ricky Gervais as a kind of a strange boss lurking around an office that was kind of the precursor to this show very cool so playing tim on this show we see martin freeman who is one of my favorite actors of all time from the uk uh, as seen in both the hobbit yes. and sherlock i i particularly enjoy sherlock perhaps another episode but yeah he's very good and then of course that's on netflix as well yes he had been working in various projects before this but this is really his breakout role. I think he was only, what, 28, 29 when the show started? So anyway, we get a scene here where, where David Brent, played by Ricky Gervais, is interviewing a man who wants a forklift driver's job, and we see the first look of David Brent kind of showing off for uh, for the cameras. He asks, has you passed the forklift driver's test? And the guy hasn't. So he says, no, no, I can call somebody at the warehouse. And he gives a, he says, uh, yeah, 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 first day trained. And all this stuff and claims as though he's going get, to get him the job no matter what. Pretending as though he has a rapport with everybody, he asks the guy, Has Elaine left you yet? And then he kind of makes a face and then he says, Yeah, she has left him. I forgot about that. <laughs> we see here that David Brent me mentions to the, uh, to the crew that he's been in the business for 12 years. He was uh, at Wernham Hogg as general manager for eight of those. So put them together, that's 19. Ah, yes. And do you, do you happen to know the motto for the Warnham Hog Paper Company? Please tell us. Where life is stationary. <laughs> that's a knee slapper right there. That is very clever, I have to say. I know, I, I loved it. <laughs> it really is. So uh, David approaches Don's desk, and uh, he hams it up for the cameras with uh, receptionist Don Tinsley, here played by Lucy Davis. 
He starts to really make some crude jokes, I won't repeat them, but the punchline is crack of dawn. As you can see, she was not too favorable of that line of joking. She gives him a fax, keeping up his cool boss persona, he throws it away, and then uh, quietly kind of asks for it back. Yeah, that, that was amazing. We get, after that, referred to in this mockumentary TV style as talking head. This is where uh, one of the cast members is put aside, and they speak directly to the camera between scenes. This is something that we see carried over into Parks and Recreation and, of course, the American office. It's become now a staple of this uh, mockumentary TV style. In David Brent's talking head, he talks about how he's the best boss, and he, he claims as though people said to him, we've never worked in a place like this. You're such a laugh. You get the best of us. And he plays it off real cool, saying, eh, c'est la vie. That's true. Excellent. Looks directly at the camera. <laughs> And Lily, you were in France. What does say la vie mean? Oh, this is life. That's 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 its direct translation into English. There you go. So David Brent mentions that he was on a pub crawl with Chris Finch, saying El Vino did flow. I took Spanish, so I could tell you El Vino would be the wine. Uh, but I, I think that's also the same for Italian. Yeah. Chris Finch is a character that we'll hear references to. We'll actually hear his voice as well, but we won't see him yet in the series. He also brags to Don that there's guys my age that look 50. How old do you think I look? She begins to say, 30, si he says, 30, yeah, yeah. Have, have um, either you, Scott, or Sean ever had a boss like this? Not now, obviously, but in the past in, in your life. See, I've worked for a lot of small businesses. I, I, I haven't really had too much corporate experience, so I, I can't say I've had a boss like this. I I don't know how I could handle it. I, and I really hope that this David Brent character is exaggerated for television. Yeah, for everyone else's sake. I can assure you that at this point we received no answer from Sean. So let's continue on with the podcast. So what's becoming a common theme in this episode, David Brent bragging about his drinking, starts to joke around about it. So Don gets into the joking with him and talks about how he drinks every lunchtime as well. He takes immediate offense to this. And uh, he says, you seem to know a lot about my drinking. Does it offend you, yeah? One thing I found notable about this is that there is actually a British dance punk band named Does It Offend You, Yeah, or D-I-O-Y-Y -Y for short. They had some songs for, uh, I think the most notable one was the Fast and, one of the Fast and Furious movies had their song in a trailer. I think it's called We Are Rockstars or something like that. I got this uh, quote here. This is from their synth player, Dan Coop, in an interview at NME.com. He said, Everybody thinks the name is some kind of statement, but it's a quote from David Brent in an episode of The Office. When me and James Rushant first started writing music together, we decided to put it up on MySpace. We needed a name to put out as our profile name, so just put what was the first thing that was said on TV. We switched it on and Ricky Gervais said, My drinking, does it offend you, yeah? So we just went with that. No thought went into it whatsoever. So here's a very small, innocuous throwaway line just at the end of a scene, and that became uh, a small mention in pop culture, I guess. Yeah, interesting little side note. What a legacy to leave behind. <laughs> Check out their music. It's a, it's, it's strange. It's cool, though. Yeah, what, what was the genre again? Uh, I saw it labeled as dance, British dance punk, but it's, uh, it's really electronic. There's oh, okay. a heavy, heavy beat, lots of synth. Almost theremin sounding. Okay. So after this scene, we, we get our first glimpse at Gareth and Tim at their desks. Gareth Keenan, here played by Mackenzie Crook, who 
was also in, uh, I believe, the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Yes. And Tim Canterbury, who, as Lily brought out, was played here by Martin Freeman. Gareth slaps the back of Tim's head with a newspaper, says, What's up? <laughs> now, Lily, do you remember the Budweiser ads featuring the What's up catchphrase? I don't. I don't think I... If, if I saw them, I don't think I was particularly paying attention. Well, that's good. Um, <laughs> this is something that, fortunately, because of when you were born, you pretty much escaped. This is from a Budweiser ad campaign that featured a group of friends calling each other on the phone and just saying, What's up? It first ran during Monday Night Football on December 20th, 1999, and it ran in various iterations until 2002. Was that a joke in one of the scary movies? I can't say I have watched the scary movie series. <laughs> that scene makes sense now. I feel like this door has just been open. I was eureka moment. See, we're all hitting play, and all these things are making sense. <laughs> That's our goal. We're trying to make neural connections in everybody's brains. Come for the comedy, stay for the epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> Leave disappointed. Oh no, don't. <laughs> <laughs> At the time that this ran, this episode, in fact, I, I forgot to mention that this episode ran July 9th, 2001 on BBC Two. At the time this was running, it was right in the middle of that being a big popular catchphrase a very annoying catchphrase so gareth also brags that he drank eight pints the previous night pretends that there's an article about it in the paper entitled boss and team leader and drunken night out shock horror we start to get a very good sense of who these characters are i think at that point my favorite character is introduced gareth i mean just like in the american version of the office dwight is by far my favorite character so it's the same kind of persona, but a little bit different, obviously. Now, you kind of work in an office-type atmosphere. Do you have a, a Gareth at work? Oh, uh, you know, if I said it, I don't I don't think he would be very happy. I mean, considering he's in present company. I don't think, he, I don't think Sean's with us right now. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he'll just uh, have to hear about it later when he... Uh, I'll say it. It's Sean. Yeah. Yeah, it's Sean. He's your Dwight slash gareth too bad i haven't put his stapler in a vat of jelly oh we'll get to that <laughs> so we get after this scene we get a a talking head from tim he explains here his role in the company he's a sales rep he's very bored as he explains that he talks to the clients about quantity and type of paper whether he can supply it for them whether they can pay for it and he mentions he's even boring himself just talking about it. Now, I noticed when he was saying this, he sounded like he had a cold. I don't know if you noticed the same thing, but he sounded that the Martin Freeman sounded congested. So I wondered if he shot this while he was under the weather. That wouldn't surprise me. Although, from the look of Slough, it, it looked like a pretty rainy place. Although I know they didn't film it there, but uh, that would tie into everything. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> So we we cut back to Tim and Gareth at their desks. Tim, oddly enough, is just looking through the dictionary. I've been there before. That's something you do when you're really bored and there's really nothing to do. David uh, now comes up and greets them with a what's up. He says, uh, you're fired, Keenan. Drunkard. Hypocrite warning. So like, really just the dumbest jokes. Yeah. We then get the character of Jennifer Taylor Clark, played here by Sterling Gallagher. And she visits the office, <laughs> tells Don that there's a nasty smell in the lift, which is pretty funny that uh, this is just a really run-down office and just a, a dreary part of town. And uh, 
you know, this office is no different. She asks David if he got the agenda that she faxed over, and of course he doesn't have it. He asks Don why it isn't in his hand. And uh, she said, you put it in the bin that was the special filing cabinet. So that was the the facts that he threw away to look cool earlier. Just a genius move on his part. <laughs> well, as we'll see throughout the series, he's not a guy that really thinks things through. No. So we get another talking head of David, and he equates his role in the office to comic relief, where he's uh, an aid worker helping starving kids, and Jennifer is in the studio with Jonathan Ross and Lenny Henry counting the money. I looked this up. Comic Relief was started in 1985 by scriptwriter Richard Curtis and comedian Lenny Henry to help famine in Ethiopia, and it's still running. In fact, the most notable part of it is the Red Nose Day event, which is uh, very popular in the UK, and I just saw recently commercials for it in the US, so it seems like it's something that they're trying to run multinationally now. Oh, I've never heard of it until just now. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a charity. And uh, they have telethons to raise money. And uh, Jonathan Ross and Lenny Henry, who he had mentioned here, are two of the presenters for the telethon. And I believe they still are as well. So back to the show here. Jennifer explains to David Brent that they can't financially justify both a Swindon branch and a Slough branch, which is where this show is set. And one has to convince her that they can incorporate the other. And this is going to be running through all of Series 1, is which branch is going to incorporate the other, which branch is going to have firings or redundancies, as they're referred to here. Oh, that tricky British slang. <laughs> there you go. So in the midst of this small meeting, the phone rings, and David lets the answering machine take it. And it's Chris Finch, who he had referred to earlier. He speaks very crudely about David and Jennifer. And uh, makes for a very uncomfortable situation. But anyway, it, it ends with Jennifer asking David not to tell the office about the upcoming changes. And David makes the promise that he won't. So we immediately get cuts around the office where various employees are gossiping about the possibility of redundancies. So almost immediately, either they're told, or it's the information's leaked out, or they can kind of get the idea that there might be some some cuts. Yeah, that kind of irked me a little bit. Unless they were just completely speculating on the presence of this someone from the higher up, how they would have possibly known. Yeah, I, well, with the camera crew following around David Brent, it could either be that Don had mentioned it in passing to somebody, or, oh, yeah, like you true. said, seeing the boss come in for a, a closed-door meeting might uh, get people nervous, so I can understand that. So next we see David meet with Ricky Howard, here played by Oliver Chris. He's here from the temp agency. He's kind of like the analog to the B.J. Novak character, Ryan Howard, in the American office. Yeah. Kind of the, the temp that comes in and he ends up getting a permanent role in the office. In this episode, does the temp have any speaking lines? I think one when David fake fires Dawn. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he'll... Uh, he'll chime in a little bit mostly in this episode it's david brent monopolizing any conversation that's that's true also another interesting side note the actor who plays the temp in this episode had made an appearance on the it crowd he played a security guard for renom industries that was on a game show and used jen's help to not win he was down to 50 50 and jen had made a big stink that she knew all the answers to some bizarre category like classical music and told him to pick the wrong one. 
But afterwards, they ended up going on a date, and he despised her the whole time. (laughs) So I'm just going to use this opportunity as a little plug. If you haven't listened to our episode reviewing one of the IT crowd episodes, not that one in particular, but another one, you should definitely go and listen to that. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because I... I remember now seeing him. It's been such a long time since I watched The British Office, I did not make that connection. Yeah, the IT crowd making its second appearance now here on Hitting Play. We are a big fan. And you guys converted me. I really love that show now. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) It really is. So David meets here with the temp, and he jokes with Ricky, which now i got to keep this clear. David Brent is played by Ricky Gervais. Ricky Howard is played by Oliver Chris, so Ricky is the temp, David is the boss. David jokes with Ricky, and he makes a reference to a British soap opera called EastEnders, and that's a show that still airs as far as my research shows, and it's been running since 1985. The actor Sid Owen played the character of Ricky Butcher from 1988 to 2012. That's the character, or at least the girlfriend of the character, that he's joking about here. I'm sorry, I did too much research for this episode. So, we get here another David Brent talking head. And he explains that what most upsets him about his job is wasted talent. That people could so easily approach him and and ask how to keep an office task-oriented and happy. But they don't. And that's the tragedy. So, really, just a character we're starting to see. It's all about his image. He really thinks he's doing a good job of making a good image for himself in this in this show, which we'll see actually does become kind of a documentary. When he first said that, I thought he was talking about the jobs within the paper company itself. People were settling, you know, to be a paper salesman or a pencil pusher. But, uh, nope. It's all about him. <laughs> And uh, that certainly won't change for a long time. So now David is bringing Ricky around the office, giving him kind of the tour, people that he's going to be working around. He introduces them to the accounts department. and He calls Keith uh, here, the character Keith, mental. And then he explains, not literally, obviously, that wouldn't work. Last place you'd want someone like that is in accounts, which... (laughs) We'll see time and time again now, David Brent will say things uh, in which he puts his foot in his mouth. In fact, he'll do it some more times in this episode. Then he he shows Ricky the recycling bin, really hitting all the landmarks of the office. Yeah, that was was absolutely hilarious. If he was going to show him anything, anything about the office, you know, not where he would punch in a time card or where he could find all the necessary paperwork. No, here's the recycling bin. (laughs) None of the essentials. (laughs) We cut back to Tim and Gareth's desk. Tim is on the phone while Gareth is attempting to clearly define the boundary between their desks by sliding a ruler between them and and, uh, moving all of Tim's overlapping papers. And Gareth here explains, one word, two syllables, demarcation. Ah, yes, a reference to his being in the territorial army. Yes, yes, which he'll, uh, he'll mention a little later. Well, I'll tell you what, this might be a good place to create a line of demarcation in the show of our own. So why don't we take this opportunity to take a break and we'll pay some bills and we will be right back. Cough drops! Use as directed. Paid for by the committee to say use as directed at the end of commercial spots. Paid for by the committee to have committees. Well, uh, paid for the committee to pay for things. Oh yeah, well, paid for the committee for you shutting your face. 
Oh, okay. Okay. How about uh, paid for the committee for uh, us taking this outside? Hey, paid for by the committee for me taking you outside and embarrassing you in front of everybody in this recording studio. Not paid for the committee for having your mama dry your tears after I dump you head first in the trash can out in the alley. Paid by the committee to inform you there's no trash cans in the alley. Paid for by the committee to recognize that you would know since you go out there every day to chew used gum and to lick cough drop wrappers. Cough drops. Use as directed. Okay, and we're back. Now, at this point in the office, uh, David is still bringing Ricky around for his tour. He's pointing out all the minutiae around the office, and he shows Ricky a Billy Big Mouth, as he calls it. It's really called the Big Mouth Billy Bass. Uh, I don't know, do you remember this this product, Lily? Do you remember the commercials? Yes. Didn't McDonald's use it at one point to advertise their filet fish sandwich? <laughs> they did, that's right. I forgot all about that. <laughs> you uh, need that filet fish. <laughs> uh, had that blocked out of my memory for about two years and you brought it back great thanks oh sorry <laughs> this uh i think it was created through bass pro shops it was created in 1998 and it became very popular at the early 2000s which is you know when this episode was filmed and aired uh can for those that don't know it consisted of a latex fish body over an animatronic frame and when a passerby triggered either the motion sensor or they pressed the button it would uh face you it would kind of flip bend in half and it would sing either bobby mcferrin's don't worry be happy or al green's take me to the river and uh had a lot of commercials that always ran on tv what's notable about this when i did some research is that al green claimed that he received more in royalties for take me to the river from the big mouth billy bass than from any other recording and release of this song i don't know if that's something to be proud of or not. Well, I don't know, but it just shows you how big this product actually was and it even made its debut in in pop culture or left its mark in pop culture here on this on one of the greatest shows of uh, recent history. So good for you, Big Mouth Billy. You made it. <laughs> what a catch. <laughs> oh boy. I'd release that one. So, so anyway, we cut back to Tim and Gareth at their desks, and Tim is constantly insulting Gareth, and he's really out of boredom, just trying to get a reaction from him. Gareth is clearly bothered by this, but he pretends to ignore him, saying that he's not even getting offended. They, I believe they call this winding up Gareth. This will be one of the hallmarks of the show, and definitely something you'll see Jim doing to Dwight in the American version. It definitely carried over. Oh yeah, those were the best best moments of both shows, when Tim is making a fool of Gareth, or Jim is making a fool of Dwight. Yeah, very, very funny. Now David continues in his tour, and uh, he shows he, David shows Ricky a cartoon where a man is trying on pants, and, and he asks, does my bum look big in these? David mentions that it's not sexist because it's a bloke saying it at last. Oh, man. And we'll, we'll see various moments. Uh, David very much being offensive, speaking about how much he hates racism and sexism and all, the, all these things, but we'll exhibit the very same behavior he claims to hate. Has already contradicted himself with the uh, crack of dawn comment. <laughs> That's correct. Now, here's a notable uh, point in the show. David walks over to the coat rack, and he points very proudly to the yellow plush character sitting at the top of, of the coat rack. Now, I, I don't expect you to remember this, Lowly. I remember this uh, character from a commercial. It probably ran, like, on MTV or one of those stations very briefly in the mid to late 90s. I had to look it up to see his name. And it, this is Flat Eric, and he's a yellow puppet created by Jim Henson's Creature Shop, 
for Levi's Stay Pressed One Crease Denim Clothing. Now, originally in the ad campaign, a car was going to run over his head flattening it. And the idea was scrapped, thankfully. That'd be a pretty horrific commercial. But the name <laughs> stuck, so that's why he's called Flat Eric. In the commercials, which this is what I remember, he would ride around with his human friend, evading the police. You know, bobbing his head to the music. It's pretty funny. I guess he's pretty famous in the, in the UK. He's appeared on various TV shows and print ads. You'll notice in the US version, Flat Eric is not a notable character here, but in the US version, they replaced him with a Homer Simpson doll that you'll see in every episode. So David introduces uh, Ricky to Tim and Gareth. Uh, Gareth here introduces himself as assistant regional manager, and David will correct him, assistant to the regional manager. And this will be a running gag throughout this series, as well as the American series. Yes. Gareth, in the conversation here, brags that he has a TR3 that he bought for 1200 and is now worth three grand. Now, I had to look this up, what he was referring to. The TR3, or the Triumph TR3, is a British sports car that was manufactured between 1955 and 1962. And just looking really briefly online, I found a restored 1958 model was worth somewhere in the 25000 US dollar range. Wow, that's that's quite a chunk of money. Yeah, so he should sell. Is it is it uh, is it nice looking or? Yeah, it's a very like you know classic British sports car. I don't know how well they ran. In fact, uh, this is the second mention of Triumph on the show. I, I believe Sean, Sean speculated that Lookwell was driving a Triumph or an MG. Oh, okay. I cannot confirm that. So we get a great moment here where Gareth continues to talk more about his car, and he's going to actually show some photos of it. He opens the desk drawer, only to find that Tim has encased his stapler in a gelatin dessert, or jelly as they call it in the UK. Yes, and Gareth continues to mention that Tim only did it because he said one time that he didn't like jelly or jello <laughs> because he doesn't trust the way it moves <laughs> as it jiggles on the table. This is very funny. Hilarious. My favorite line of the episode. It's very funny because the character of Gareth and even Dwight in the American series, it's like they're, they're very intelligent sometimes. They seem to know a lot about some, some things, but then other times they'll reveal how crazy they really are. Now, all right, I got really deep in my research here, so apologies in advance to everybody listening, and especially to you, Lily. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Gareth, Gareth here knows it's his stapler because it has his name on it in Tipex. Now, I had to look this up. Tipex is a popular European brand of correction fluid and other related products, so it's similar to what we have here as whiteout or liquid paper. David tells Gareth not to eat the gelatin dessert because of the chemicals. So I looked up, okay, well, what chemicals are in a correction fluid? I, don't, I can't speak for Tipex here, but I, I've read that correction fluid contains 111-trichloroethane, which if inhaled or ingested can act as a central nervous system depressant and in high concentrations lead to unconsciousness and death. Prolonged skin contact can cause irritation and chronic exposure has been linked to kidney, liver, and heart abnormalities, as well as birth defects. And I sound like a pharmaceutical commercial right now. So, yeah, d don't eat anything that has whiteout in it, folks. Please. Don't sniff it. Don't drink it. Yeah, tell your dog not to eat your homework. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't feed it to your dog, either. <laughs> Tim makes the joke that, that it's only a trifling matter. And they all start cracking up, except for Gareth. Uh, a trifle <laughs> is an English dessert made from custard, fruit, sponge cake, whipped cream, and jelly or gelatin. 
Looks very delicious. <laughs> Ricky, one of his few lines here, says they should put him in custody. Uh... <laughs> now David finds the whole exchange hilarious, calling the three of them Vic and Bob and an extra one. Vic and Bob, or Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer, are a British comedy duo that have made numerous appearances on UK TV and radio. So a lot of references that, as an American viewer, would go over your head, as it certainly did mine. And mine as well. Yeah, but it, it the show otherwise is is hilarious and does not require this this amount of research that I put in. We get a, a talking head next from Gareth, and he states that he does like to have a laugh once in a while, but this is a place of work. He goes on to reveal that he spent three years in the Territorial Army. There you can't muck about. That's one of the rules. The Territorial Army is now referred to as the Army Reserve, and it's the active duty volunteer reserve for the British Army. Volunteer Reserve. Yes. So is it like one step below the actual army? Uh, It's almost like Army Reserves, like National Guard type Oh, okay, duty. okay. Probably, you know, obviously they do a vital work, but stereotyped here as, uh, you know, below the military in this show. So Ga Gareth demands his stapler back from Tim. He explains that it says Garrett on the stapler. And Tim threatens to throw it out of the window unless he stops acting like a fool. Ah, yes. So this this scene, this entire scene where Tim throws Gareth Stapler out the window is entirely improvised because the episode was running short and they needed a little bit of a filler scene. So why not put in another interaction between Tim and Gareth because that's definitely where most of the comedy is. Oh, yes. It really just goes to show you how they really assembled a great cast here that can improvise a scene like that. And I, and I, I believe a lot of these scenes are uh, improvised, or at least some of the dialogue is. Just great comedic sense and comedic timing out of everybody in this show. Uh, it was a funny moment in that scene where Tim drops the stapler and Gareth asks, What if it killed someone? Tim replies, They'll think you're the murderer. It has your name on it. And Gareth asks, Why would a murderer put his name on a murder weapon? And Tim replies, to stop people from borrowing it. <laughs> and he got some laughs out of the accounts department. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. We next get a scene where David Brent approaches Dawn. She's sitting down uh, around lunchtime. She's eating a bit of brie and reading Popcorn. Uh, popcorn is a real novel by Ben Elton, and it's about a Hollywood filmmaker who's threatened by two criminals into claiming that his films encourage violence so that they can avoid the death penalty. Kind of an interesting premise. Yeah. So David walks up to Don, and let's just say he awkwardly talks about a very personal health scare that he had that day. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to watch it to see. Yeah, we, uh, we won't go into details. So various employees are now approaching David and voicing their concerns about keeping their jobs. David is trying to kind of keep them at bay, trying to tell them to relax. T Tim now builds a wall of boxes so he no longer has to look at Gareth. And David calls a meeting to set the record straight about the rumors of redundancies swirling around the office. Finally, David does break the news about the two branches and the proposed redundancies. Malcolm, played here by Robin Hooper, asks David if he can promise that their jobs are safe. Gareth butts in on his mother's grave. <laughs> Oh, yes, and then there's that whole uh, altercation before where Gareth is trying to know ahead of time about the redundancies. Um, he's like, oh, no, no, just just tell me first, and then I'll, I'll tell them, because he feels that he has that 
a team leader role and should be placed ahead of everybody else in the office. Yes. And that's, again, a, a long-running gag in the series, and that goes right back to the title of assistant regional manager or assistant to the regional manager. It's funny the difference a preposition can make. Yes. So Dawn reveals that in the meeting with Jennifer, she said the Slough Branch could get the chop, and people react very unfavorably, as you could understand. We next get another talking head from Gareth, where he explains that he would be fine if there was an office call, and he likens it to natural selection. He offers the analogy of a little person driving a forklift in a warehouse. He can't see over the top and is wearing platform shoes to reach the pedals. Then Gareth continues, Don't get me wrong, Anton's a lovely bloke, but should he be working here? So he wasn't an analogy at all. He was actually singling out a person from the warehouse that he believes shouldn't work there just because he's a little person. And we'll we'll see more of this obliviousness to uh, cultural acceptance or any type of acceptance from uh, Gareth throughout the show. We get a very quick cut here, but very telling. It's Tim at Don's desk, and Don's kind of playing with Tim's hair, kind of acting flirtatious, but that's all they show us. So we kind of get a sense here that, yeah, these two are very close in some respect. David here continues his tour of the office, and he introduces Ricky to Sanj, played here by Faldut Sharma, who was also in the movie Gravity recently. Oh. Yeah. And David tells him that Sanj does the best Ali G impersonation. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the comedian Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, yes. Ali G is like his, his first major character. People probably know him better as Borat, and he also later did the character Bruno as well, but Ali G is like his main character, very popular in the UK. Ah, okay. Sanj insists that David must be thinking of somebody else, and David quickly realizes his mistake by saying, it's not you, it's the other one. <laughs> oh my god. So Sanj is like, okay, well, the other what? And he repeats a derogatory ethnic term. David then replies to him, that's racist. And quickly leads Ricky away. <laughs> Terrible. Awful. So we get another David talking head. Now he has to do damage control, which is, was captured on camera. So David goes on to explain how he welcomes employees of all ethnic backgrounds. But then stereotyping one ethnicity in particular, I won't go into it. So really just digs himself a deeper hole. We next get Tim flirting at Don's desk again. And Lee who's Don's boyfriend, here played by Joel Beckett, arrives to pick up Don and telling her that she can't go out for drinks with her fellow employees, including Tim, that they have to go right home. And uh, we'll get one of the great awkward moments here of, of the series. Yeah, they don't even make eye contact the entire time. No. <laughs> yeah, um... All right, all right bye, mate. That's the... <laughs> or, yeah, Tim's just about to ask, uh, what's in the bag? <laughs> yeah. Try to think of anything, anything he could say to him. Yeah, and that that question in itself, I don't know how appropriate that question necessarily is. Oh, what, what's in that sack you're carrying around? <laughs> so now we get a scene where David sits with Ricky in a meeting room. This is kind of a weird moment, the two of them just sitting here in this room for no reason. David explains to Ricky that he's a friend first, a boss second, and probably an entertainer third. Oh, you know, just probably. Don knocks on the door, and before David lets her in, he looks over at Ricky and says, Practical joke, don't give me away. So he goes on, and it's just such a heartless move, to tell Don that she's been fired for stealing. 
thieving post-it notes. So Dawn starts crying because she can't even understand what's going on. And uh, he says that the good news is is that he doesn't even have to give her severance pay because it's gross misconduct. So Don, <laughs> poor Don here is bawling her eyes out. David saying, that was a joke there. Good girl. Don calls David a sad little man. <laughs> <laughs> and the three just sit there quietly. Another great awkward moment. I can't imagine being in the temp's position. Oh, no. It's so incredibly uncomfortable. And just... Uh, David Brent here taking the time to show the office, to introduce it to a temporary worker. This would not be somebody here long. I know, it takes the entire day to give the temporary worker a tour of the whole office, (laughs) including the recycling bin and the, you know, the bass on the wall that doesn't have any batteries in it. That's right, it didn't even have batteries in it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, just taking this opportunity to introduce somebody uh, while the camera crew is there, And of course, you know, it helps us as the viewer get acquainted with the office as well. But really, just a stupid task that didn't need to be done. So we we get here David Brent's final talking head. And this is just a great story. He says, My proudest moment wasn't when I increased profit by 17% or cut expenditure without losing a single member of staff. No. It was a young Greek guy. First job in the country. Hardly spoke English. But he came to me and went... Mr. Brent, will you be the godfather to my child? So, didn't happen. We had to let him go. He was rubbish. (laughs) He was rubbish. (laughs) Uh, Now, I believe Steve Carell makes the same type of speech at the end of the American episode, uh, the the pilot episode of the American office. I may be wrong, but that sounds very familiar. So funny. Um, I don't know. I also don't know if in the American episode of The Office, Jim puts Dwight Stapler in Jello. I want to say oh, yes. it's the exact same. A lot of things were definitely used for the pilot of The American Office. The, the, the stapler in the jelly definitely pretending to fire the receptionist as a joke to impress the, the temp. Uh, I be- even believe this end talking head. But even like the, uh, the characters, uh, Dwight in, in his thoughts and views and where he's at, you know, mentally... Yeah, except he's, you know, a beet farmer. Yes. <laughs> but also has that uh, survivalist edge that they also give Gareth as well. Yeah, that's true. The, like the Eagle Scout. Isn't he like an Eagle Scout or something? Oh, something like that. Very conf- Both would be very confident in living out in the woods for an extended period of time. <laughs> so uh, we get the credits here rolling with the now vocal version of the song Handbags and Gladbags. I almost forgot that they do post-credit sequences in these episodes. We finish with a small post-credit scene where Gareth walks into the room where David and Ricky are sitting and shows them that, yep, Tim has put his stapler in the jelly for now, I believe, what is the fourth time. uh, That ends a, a very funny episode. I forgot to mention this at the start, but this series on Metacritic was actually rated... 98 out of 100. So very funny, highly acclaimed. It's the first British comedy to be nominated for a Golden Globe in 25 years, and actually the only one to win it, and I believe that was in 2003. It aired in 2001, right? 2001 was the the first episode here. Okay. And it ran for, I'm not sure when the second series aired, and then they had a a final Christmas special, which wrapped wrapped up all the storylines. Uh, Without spoiling anything, I just have to say it's a very satisfying watch. 
Of course, we keep mentioning the U.S. version of The Office, which we saw probably the most of any of the adaptations. There's actually a French version that's, that was spawned from this called Les Bureaux. There was a German version called Stromberg. There was a French-Canadian version called La Job. A Chilean version called La Office. Uh, an Israeli version called Ha Misrad and a Swedish version called Kontoret. Are any of those as successful? No, I think I think the American version had the longest run. In terms of quality, I'll leave that up to the listening audience. There's uh, plenty of debate about that. Ah, yes. But uh, it's funny, if you look, I believe Wikipedia has a table where somebody actually typed out, comparing all the adaptations, who the regional manager is, who the assistant is, who the sales rep is, who the receptionist is, and shows you that uh, basically uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant came came up with a winning formula here. It is an odd type of humor, odd style of humor. I, I know that there are some people who don't care for the American version of The Office because of its awkward situational humor. So I could see how it wouldn't translate into other cultures yeah. as well. Yeah, it's definitely, if my like I have a friend that very much loves the American version of The Office, watched a couple of the British ones, and nope, not for him. Just couldn't, uh, couldn't get into it. And it really is almost apples and oranges. Uh, almost. Let's say it's a yeah. very reddish-orange apple and a very reddish-orange orange. Kind of close, <laughs> but uh, when you get into it it's much different and that is probably the worst analogy you will ever hear (laughs) no i i like it so that probably wraps it up for me i i have to say this is one of my favorite television shows of all time the first time i had actually heard of the british office was uh probably around 2003 or so and it was actually matt graining talking about how great it was on a simpsons commentary I heard about that, and, you know, I figured, well, that guy knows what's up. I love The Simpsons. It aired on BBC America. They ran, like, a couple of mini-marathons of it, and I was fortunate enough to see it there. Probably just before it debuted, I think, in 2005 on NBC. How'd you first hear about the show, Lily? Uh, I actually watched the American version of The Office first, and I actually couldn't finish the series all the way through. I just completely and totally lost interest after Steve Carell left, um, Mm -hmm. who played Michael Scott. But then after I watched that series, I was on a British TV show kick. Like, I had watched um, the entirety of Peep Show. Oh, yeah. Which I I liked a lot. And then I saw The Office UK. I was like, I wonder if this is similar to the American version of The Office. What is this? This is bizarre. So I watched it and actually enjoyed it a lot more than the American version. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's almost better that you watch the American version first. Because when I first saw the pilot of the NBC one, it's like, oh, yeah, yep, okay, yep, I know where this joke is going. I know it's very, very similar. Now... The subsequent episodes, they broke away from that. There's much different storylines, fortunately. I would have hated to see a direct translation of these episodes. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, Lily, do you have any plugs? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I do, as a matter of fact. If you are a gamer interested in video games of the sort, enjoy watching other people play video games, and, you know, enjoy awkward jokes... 
then go ahead and check out my channel on YouTube, uh, LilyPution22, or my Twitter account, which I believe is linked somewhere or tied to this podcast somehow. Which is also LilyPution22, right? Yeah, which is which is also LilyPution22. Very easy, only, only one thing you have to remember if you ever want to find me on any sort of social media. Um, do you have anything you would like to plug, Scott? Yes, uh, you can find me on Twitter at MC and Friends. I'm also at MC and Friends on Vine. There I do some flip page animation, some little humorous, somewhat, I try to be humorous, cartoons. Uh, you can catch me there. Uh, we have a Twitter account for the show that's at Hitting Play, H I T T I N G P L A Y. You can uh, follow us if you want, or at least talk to us there. And you can email us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com. Any of your suggestions for future shows, please uh, drop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And if you'd love to drop a five-star rating for this show, we'll give you a shout-out in the subsequent episode. Yes, so please do that. It definitely helps us out. I'm not sure the inner workings of iTunes, but for some reason... A five-star review is very helpful for us, as well as subscribing. If you could hit subscribe, and even if you don't want to hear every episode, just delete the ones that come in. But don't. (laughs) Yes, but don't do that. Anyways, now that we're done with the self-promotion, I think we should leave you to the rest of your day, to the rest of your night. Thank you for hitting play with us. Until next time.